From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Welcome to Hoosier Hysterics, another very, very special episode. We are here at Echo Fox headquarters with Jared Jeffries, Hoosier legend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome. <laughs> and I have to say, before we get started, Ward and I have been so excited to talk to you. We're huge fans. On the drive over, I needed to calm down a little bit. So you may be smelling the waft of cigar smoke. <laughs> I needed a morning cigar here's to just a, level me out. Here's how I dealt with it. Before I pulled into a parking spot outside... Full-throated from my diaphragm, sang the fight song. That's just how I got myself in a place to do this. That's so, awesome. Thanks for having us, man. No thanks for doing this. So let's start with where we are. Echo Fox, tell us about Echo Fox and what you're doing here. Um, Echo Fox is a competitive esports organization founded by Rick Fox um, in about 2015, and um, he gave me a phone call about two years ago and asked if I could run an esports organization similar to how we ran the Denver Nuggets. And I worked for Denver four years previously as director of personnel. Did a little bit of research and said, you know what, man, why not? Um, it was a growing market, an emerging market, and it was my chance to better my resume, but also be involved in something new and exciting. I've been around basketball for 23 years. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> and this was my chance to see a new side of where sports was going. So talk about this, how... Your work there with with the Nuggets translates to the work here. Specifically, it sounds like you brought Moneyball to e-gaming. Yeah. Um, I feel like everyone gets down on analytics a little bit um, in professional sports. The reason analytics works is it just narrows your margin of error. If you got a 50% chance of getting it wrong, if I can get it down to a, if I can cut that by 10 or 15%, then why not use numbers? And with me not knowing a whole lot about every different game, because at the time when I took the job, we were involved in 11 different games, and I had over 50 players. Hmm. So there's no way that I could have, I could have a great grasp and a great knowledge of every game. And the eye test is deceiving because it's biased depending on who your general manager is and that. But if I have numbers behind my decisions, now when I go to my investors, when I go to my partners, I can say I made this decision based on this, and I can show them numbers that this was why this was done. This wasn't just picked out of a tree. And I think that um, we use analytics the right way in Denver, and I think that eSports is another way to use that. So question for you. You are a former NBA player. <laughs> you are a former star of Indiana University. You are a highly gifted, trained athlete. And now you're at eSports. Let's start with, is it a sport? Yeah. I think that, and I've always said this, whenever someone uses a machine, and a machine can be a car, it can be an animal like a horse, people tend to not look at them as athletes because there is something else that is between them and the actual field of play. The hand-eye coordination, the dedication, and the discipline to be a high-level esports athlete is similar to a race car driver. And a lot of people probably can relate to race car driving. If you're driving a car 200 miles an hour, like bump drafting is my best example. Yeah. Remember in the Talladega, 
on the restrictor plate racing, if you're touching another car going 200 miles an hour, you're an athlete. Just the, the nerves, the hand-eye coordination, the mental and physical fatigue of sitting in that car for 400 miles and bump drafting that whole time, you're an athlete. Um, if you're a jockey and knowing how to ride that horse and push that horse the right way, there's a reason that the top jockeys continually win no matter what horse they're on because they're an athlete and they know how to do that. But they're not the big, strong, you know, 6'11", hulking athletes that we envision. Right. So I think over time you'll see more and more recognition of how difficult esports is. Now, if you took any of your gamers mm -hmm. out here onto the basketball court, is there any one of them that could score a bucket on you in a game of one-on-one? -on -one? Any one of them? No. All right. <laughs> no. Yeah. But, but if I met them on their field in their game, then I couldn't do anything with them either. So it's, it's the same level that when you take just a casual gamer and you put them up against my players, they don't stand a chance. Just like if you take the casual weekend basketball player that plays pickup Saturday Sunday mornings, they don't try to take it as an NBA player. It's that level of disparity. I played basketball through high school. <laughs> I, I was up till ninth grade. Yeah, nice. I played yes. in high school. <laughs> nice. I was, look, I don't want to get into it. I was the captain of my varsity team in St. Louis, Missouri. No big deal. Don't want to get into it. Didn't uh, you draw enough fouls to get Larry Hughes? I drew a lot of charges. I put Larry Hughes out of the game. We played CBC his freshman year. Okay. They were ranked number one in the state. I drew three charges on the guy. Wow. First half. Put him out of the game. Okay. And we won the game. You know what? We'll that call, was Eric. We, we, we will call Larry. We'll you call, call Larry. We, we will call Larry in a second, and we'll see if Larry remembers this. You know, he, he will not remember it. <laughs> but I do. I remember it. So I'm just saying I could draw some charges against these guys. That's nice. it. Yeah. Let, let's go to another passion of yours. Yeah. Fishing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now now is that that's still ongoing, yeah, the show. Yeah, okay, correct. Modern Fishing with Jared Jeffries. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I had a chance to work for an amazing guy, um, Stan Kroenke. And Stan had recently purchased the Outdoor Channel and was in the process of purchasing the Sportsman Network, or Sportsman Channel. And Did you meet him at Denver? I've, I've known Stan for a while because me and Josh are similar ages. Actually, when we played Missouri... My freshman year, Josh was on that team. Oh, okay. That had like Ricky Paulding, Arthur yeah. Johnson, and all like I so. Yeah, well. so Josh was on that team, and so I've known them for a, for a while. Me and Mr. K were talking, and I had already filmed the pilot for the show, and we were going to go pitch it for different things. And Mr. K saw it and loved it, and he was like, "Do you want to do, do you want to do this doing this fishing show?" And I was like, "He asked, he asked me if I wanted a hunting show because they were looking for minorities to do a hunting show," and I was like. I hunt, but I don't really love killing things that much. Right. <laughs> like, right. And he was like, what about, you know, fishing? And I was like, well, as it might be, I have this. And I showed it to him, and he loved it. So five years in, I took this year off, but I started filming again in February for 2020. Now, most importantly, do you still use the boat that has the Indiana cursive <laughs> script across the side? That boat's, yeah, that boat's down in Florida right now. That is a beautiful boat. Is that yours? Yes, mine. That is a gorgeous boat. Yeah, every, like I said, it was... Um, my, my first one I had just had um, like the IU symbol. It was, all, it was all red hull with the IU symbol. And okay. this one I got um, all white with the Indiana cursive on it. Now, Jared, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a Jewish kid from St. Louis. One time in my life I went fishing. And I wouldn't even call it fishing. It was at a guy's house in junior high. Uh -huh. And he had a pond in the back of his house that was only a pond when it rained. Uh. So I wouldn't call it fishing, but
But I just want to say that if you're up for it, we would love to go fishing with you. We would love for you to teach us how to fish. You know, the funny thing is that the last three years have been the best bluefin tuna bite in over 100 years of Southern California. Really? It is chaos. I'm going to just nod my head and pretend like I know what you're talking about here. But sure, yeah. Bluefin we'll put tuna. It, we'll put I like, eat bluefin tuna. You eat bluefin tuna. Put it like this. The fish this year got almost, got up to 300 pounds. If we put you on that fish, even with the right tackle, it'll take you anywhere from 30 to two hours to get it in, depending on the tackle. Really? Yeah. And then we're going to be sore for weeks afterwards. Maybe, maybe months. I mean... <laughs> But this is something you actually fish for? Yeah. And What's the biggest fish you have caught? You can't uh, lie. You no, can't lie. the biggest fish I ever caught, um, we were on a liveaboard trip out of Puerto Vallarta to Mexico. I used to have a house in Puna Mina down there on the Four Seasons. And we caught a 750-pound black marlin. What? It was pretty cool. Is that like teamwork? Do people take shifts? No. Nah, That's like, all you? It's all me. We, I do it. I can stand up with a harness. And people that fish will know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so we, sure. So we, I do a stand-up. Um, we're doing it with 50s and that's 50, 50 pound. Well, it's the size real. So the, oh, okay. so Shimano Tiagras go, um, you go like twenties, thirties, fifties, eighties, one thirties. And it's just the size of the reel. Okay. And it's how much line you're able to put on there and the drag force. Well, for the record, Jared avoided saying that he would take his fishing. No, no, no. Like I'm saying, not, no, I'm taking, I'm taking you it. Like I said, fishing? In the spring, when the tuna come back in the you spring, were, they come back in force. When you need a good laugh, I mean, guys to call. I mean, it's, I mean <laughs> you guys. Should I start working my forearm? What should I be working out? There's nothing you can do. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, buddy. There's, it's singular. There's, 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 no, I mean, like I said, I'll, and I'll let you guys fight the fish off and on yourselves. Yes. And there's nothing you can do. You guys will pass a rod back and forth probably 10, 15 times a piece because you, you've never, because you're, you're holding 30 pounds. With one arm, and like you're gonna use your back too much, your back will start going out. Yeah, when I, I um, I reached a little too far for the toothpaste this morning, <laughs> and it tweaked. I tweaked the, a hammy or something. I, uh, I oblique. Did, I didn't do anything, and my shoulders hurt for three yeah. weeks. Yeah, I'm like nothing even well, went wrong. I'm gonna say this: it is crazy getting old because I mean I don't work out at all, and I've, I'm still. What do you look at you? What do you mean you don't? Work I dance out? a lot. I'm a great dancer. What oh, you, what country you line dancing? Country line dancing, salsa dance, I mean, great dancing. Where do you go into L.A. for country line dancing? Um, I do by myself. Place called the Saddle Ranch right here. Oh, I know oh, the yeah. Saddle Ranch. Oh, I love sure. Saddle Ranch. And then um, there's a bar that's... I used to go actually to the bar that got shot up. Oh, I, I, used to, I used to go there. Oaks, right? Yeah. And then I used to go... There's a place in the Valley that we go also. Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe we'll go country line dancing one day. Yeah. All right. We're going to take you back. Mm-hmm. You're playing at Bloomington North. You're fishing and hunting on your family property. Yeah. Factual. And you are the chosen one. Yeah. You are an Indiana kid. The pressure of the state is on you. Just put us in the mindset of you're 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. You know at this point that you are a top-level basketball player. You can pretty much go wherever you want. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to be... In the state of Indiana, playing basketball, which, as we know, is different than playing basketball anywhere else in the country. Just what was that like, as you think back on that, being the guy in the state that everyone is coming to see? The the absolute funniest part of it was, until my sophomore year, my sophomore year, I thought, um, they won state my freshman year, and 
my sophomore year, we were poised to repeat, and then Quef Dwayne tore his AC on sectionals. Mm-hmm. We played South, and Coach McKinney, who never does this, just flattened out and ran a 1-4 flat and ISO with me the whole second half. And Coach Knight was at that game. Is this the first time Coach Knight saw you play in person? No, nah, Coach Knight saw me play my freshman year a few times. Okay. Um, so, well, but you were like 6'3", right? Yeah, I was little, but I was a point guard, and I didn't like, but then all of a sudden now I'm 6'9". So Coach um, was coming to see Quef, but he would come to my JV games early and watch my JV games and then stay for our varsity games. So that game, I forget, I forget what I had, but to run a, for Coach McKinney to run an ISO game and me to carry us to a sectional championship after losing our best player, that kind of propelled me. And then that summer, um, I mean, I was great on the circuit, like the Nike circuit, and coming into my junior year, now I have this national hype. It was actually funny, man, because before that, I just played basketball because it was fun. I had no idea that I had this opportunity to make it my life and my career. So my junior year was, was hard. Really? Now, yeah, because now all of a sudden you go to opposing gyms, they know you, they're on you. You always, at home, your, all your high school games go from, you know, sold out, but like to really sold out now, like standing room only on the baseline, like the noise, the atmosphere. I wish that there was more camera phones and videos because mm, right. now you got so much great coverage of these kids that are coming out and they look so special and they do so many things. Some of the guys that were in the state then, like, could you imagine what Damon Bailey did with his scoring? No. If, you, if, you had, if you had proper video of what he was doing, like 34 points a game from, as a freshman all the way through, through your senior year, that's special, man. Yeah. And there's not proper documentation of how good he was. I was going to ask, as you're going through this and you're acclimating to this new superstardom in high school, are you able to talk to Damon Bailey and get some sort of frame of reference on how to handle it? Yeah, I was a lot closer to, like, Charlie Miller, Andre Patterson, A.J. Guyton, um, even Sharon. Mm-hmm. Like, all those guys were kind of my era, and, like, we played up the hyper all the time. So even though from the time I was in eighth grade, I always played with those guys. So a lot of me kind of – I was always tall, was always decently athletic, but a lot of me really changing my game and being, being a better player was having a chance to play against those guys from a young age. Did the game become less fun in your junior year when it when it became like oh this can be my life now? Did, no, it, did it change? It changed because I had to take it more serious, and that that part was fun. Before, like honestly, it was just like I would go like you said, I would play, I would do that, and then I'd go home. Me and my dad would go squirrel hunting, we'd go rabbit hunting, and do that kind of stuff in the summertime. Um, now. My sophomore year of summer, I played AAU the whole time. There were some tournaments before that my parents would be like, we're not driving there, or we're not. <laughs> like, my parents worked at, my mom worked at GE there in town, my dad sure. worked in Kokomo, and my parents were tired. So they would he be. He drove to Kokomo? No, nah, so my dad lived in Kokomo for the first 17 years of oh. my life. He lived in Kokomo all week long and then came home on weekends. Wow. So, like, it was like. So, so when he fr- came on the weekends, he didn't want to drive you. Yeah, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to get off work and then drive to Columbus, Ohio for. A tournament there or drive right. to Paducah, Kentucky for like these little bum tournaments. But then because I was able to get to this level my you know um, junior year, sophomore summer going into my junior year, um, Nike itself was like, yeah, you will go to these events. <laughs> <laughs> when Nike comes out. Yeah, so, it was Big Phil yeah, telling you yeah, what to do? Yeah, it was like, it was Mark, it was um, George Ravin. And oh, George, wow. and George sure. was in charge then. 
So Coach Robin would be like, yeah, you're coming to these events. So I was like, all right, I'll be there. And, and they got me there. So take us back to the first time you met Coach Knight. When I met Coach, um, people probably don't remember the old assembly hall layout, but his office was right off the court. So most of the time, the players' locker room entrance is when you come off the backside of assembly hall, which would be the south-facing entrance, you come down those steps. We walked in the locker room there. The court was here. Straight across there to the left was where Coach's like, room was. And it was like a living room, kind of. And I was at practice the whole time. And, you know, it used to always crack me up. He had this Diet Coke in a Gatorade cup. And he would have it on the scorer's table. And everything would be going on. And there was one manager that would always make sure that that Diet Coke was full. And it used to be so funny to watch Coach go over and drink that Diet Coke and then put it down. And I mean, a manager would sprint over there, like pour it just to the right level. And they always kept that real fine crushed ice. I mean, the best ice in the world. Like the, like the slushy, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. the best, the, the, I mean, it's great ice. It's like a 7-Eleven, like the really good yes. ice. Uh-huh. And it used to, I, know, I don't know why I always noticed that when I would go there. Because like, I think the first time I went, the kid ran over and I'm like, what is he doing? And they're like, that's Coach's Diet Coke cup. I'm like, all right. And I remember from... You know, from my sophomore year on, always watching them fill that cup up. Was there any like a wild ball off of a, a, a brick I, shot that somebody had I to think throw somebody, themselves? I mean, for sure. I mean, somebody right <laughs> now would be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just take me, not the Diet Coke. I mean, <laughs> save that Diet Coke. So I went to Bobby Knight's basketball camps when I was a kid. Yeah. I went for about four or five years. Yeah. And I remember meeting him and seeing him in person for the first time. Yeah. And it was terrifying. Yeah. I was terrified of him. Yeah. Were you scared of him? He does it on purpose. <laughs> it really is, man. It's it's all him and him and Coach Thompson. John Thompson are very similar in that regard because Coach Thompson's like six ten, like four hundred yeah. pounds, and Coach Knight, even at his age when I met him, was still like six seven, like pushing three hundred, and he was so strong. Yeah. And he would do these things where he would grab, like you'd be sitting next to him, and he would grab your leg really hard or grab you by your neck really hard, just to show you that like. I'm still this person. So I walk into his office, and he was, like, sitting there, and he goes, like, sit down. So I, like, sat down over there, and he goes, he goes why the, he's sitting over there. He's sitting right next to me. So I was like, all right, well, then. <laughs> so I go there, and um, he, had, he had game tape of one of my high school games, and he had it broken down, and he started just going through in a very, not even in a bad way, like, positive and negatives of the things that I do, my footwork, my stance, what, what did I see here? And it was really amazing to me the similarities between um, Coach and my dad. Cause my dad was the same way. My dad wouldn't do it in a basketball term, but my dad more read my body language. Well, why did you get mad about this? Why did you do this? Why didn't you change this? But my dad was never really that technical as far as basketball, but he was technical more about my body language and my presence on the court. So I never had a hard time with Coach critiquing me or like saying things or getting down on me because my dad was the same way. That's incredible. I will say, I, I have to say this for all the Hoosier fans listening, the one big difference between Coach Knight and John Thompson is Coach Knight is the best coach of all time, and John Thompson sucks. <laughs> I'm just going to say that, and we can move on. So, so and, and moving on, so you have a big decision to make because you have yeah. Coach Knight, the hometown legend, and then you have his protege, who's doing pretty well down in Duke and if history yeah. uh, if I recall it was that was the decision yeah it got down to those two yeah and so how do you how do you make that decision 
you know, so funny is I promised Coach Knight that I would tell him, I promised Coach K that I would tell him the morning of my decision. I honestly didn't know until the night before where I was going. Really? I really didn't. Um, now, had you, though, decided this is the date I'm going to make yeah, a decision? Yeah, because... And I'll just have to decide. Yeah, I did. And the problem was is that I knew that I would win a national championship 100% if I played at Duke. We were so talented. We were so deep. Um, me and Chris Duhon did this round the visit together. So we would have get, we would have been there. So it would have been the team that won in my freshman year. I mean, it would have been Shane Battier, um, Jason Williams, Duhon, Boozer, Boozer, myself, Mike Dunleavy. We all been on the same team. My biggest concern was, and this is how petty you are as a high recruit. I wasn't going to start. Coach Knight, I'm a Coach Knight. Coach K could not promise me a starting spot, and that was a big concern to me because I didn't plan on being in school longer than it a year, maybe two at most. So, and Duke at that point really wasn't the one and done school. Right. They, they hadn't really embraced that. That's like really that. a recent thing for Coach yeah. even to this day. It's like the last five years. Yeah, and, and now he's the best at it. Yeah, I mean, well, well now Calipari's still the yeah. best. You think yeah, still? Yeah, yeah, I, first of all, let's not compliment Coach K and Coach Calipari. <laughs> Why am I the only one that realizes these guys all suck? Okay? All right, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and Coach Knight really... He wasn't open to it either, but his vision and the way that he talked about playing me was so unique, and I believed him. I mean, he might be a lot of things, but I never saw Coach as a liar. Right. So the night before you're making the decision, this is a question that comes from my father, Wally Pankowski. <laughs> was there just one thing that tipped the scales, that as you, the night before, are you thinking about what you just told us? That's yes. that starting. Yeah. You well, want to well, start, because start. how else are you going to be yeah. shown to the pros? Yeah, and... I had a chance to go to multiple other schools that all promised me the world. Why would I go somewhere and be a part of something bigger? Why not stay in my hometown and maybe be part of something that could go on forever? I mean, so that did play in the yeah. being the hometown kid, being from the state, what basketball means. I, I think it relates multiple times over the years, including what just happened with Romeo. Yeah. And so I think as fans, we all want that to matter a lot more than maybe it does. Yes. But to you, it did matter? It matters a lot, man. I mean, like like Mike Conley and Greg Oden, for example, given they only played one year, but imagine if they stay at Indiana. Yeah. How much bigger is their legacy? They'll always be able to go back to Ohio State, but there'll be a team that was – they were so great in high school for four years. Even that one year at Indiana, it elevates you to a level, man, that you're remembered at the biggest sport, at the biggest school of a whole state. At Ohio State, no matter what you do, football's number one. Mm -hmm. So so I got to bring up that I'm still harboring some resentment to your old high school teammate. Yeah. Sean. Yeah. So Sean May. Sean, Sean May. Yeah. Uh, father obviously did pretty well at IU. Yeah. You had just had a great run there at yeah. IU. Got all the way to the finals. Did you try to get him to stay home, or do you really just respect somebody's space and decision on well, that? Yeah, you, you respect the decision. Um, but everybody knew going into it, man. It was coach. Coach had such a resentment 
towards the university, um, and Scott and Coach were still like this. Yeah. So that's all. I mean, that's what it yeah. came down to. And uh, you have to respect it, too, because anyone that knows how good Coach was to that generation of players, I mean, all those guys, if they needed anything, you know, Coach Knight would do and run through a wall for them. So they went both ways. I mean, they, they were loyal to each other, and they were better with friends. So if I felt like somebody, you know, did something wrong by me, I don't think I would let my kid go to their school either. Right. So I, I respected that. And I, yeah. and, I, and I saw that coming the whole time. It was never a question that he wasn't going to go to IU. So, and I get it, for the record. I just, Sean was such a special player, too. Awesome. It was just heartbreaking as a fan with everything that happened in the couple previous years, yeah. which I think is a good segue into you signed up to play with one coach. Yeah. You get there. And we got AJ's perspective on this. But we would like you, if you could kind of take us through... You, you getting there, starting the season, starting practice, and then yeah. the, 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 you All know what, hitting the fan. Yeah, and it was, it was disappointing, man, because it's similar to, like, if you're on probation, and they say, or you're, let's say you're a parolee, don't drink. We're going to have random drug tests, and if you get caught drinking, you're going back to jail. But you don't, you don't even take a sip of alcohol because the risk of you going back to jail. I don't know what happened in this instance because there's different stories. But if you're told that you're on a zero tolerance by the university, then just don't do anything. Right. Like, just save it. Sacrifice for us as your players. Sacrifice for the state. Sacrifice for yourself. Don't do anything. It's because something definitely happened. Who cares at what level it happened to, but something happened. Did you resent... Were you angry at Coach Knight when that happened? No. I wasn't angry at anybody. I was more angry at some of my teammates for actually thinking about transferring. Yeah, so AJ told us that when that happened, you were the guy that rallied everybody and said, no, 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 no. We're going to stick through this. Yeah. I said, you guys are tripping. (laughs) (laughs) There's a zero. Sit out basketball for a year. No. I said, I said, I'm going to the NBA. Said, this is about me. I said, don't do, don't do this to me. Yes. I said, honestly, I was like, worst case scenario, I said, if you guys all leave, I said, I'm just going to go work out and go to the draft next year. I said, I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to go to a junior college for a year and then with no guarantee of what school he's going to and where he's going. Like, no. Right. I said, and a lot of the guys in the room, had had problems with them. Coverdale, Dane, like all of these guys. With, had, with coach. They had confidence with them. And they were still the ones that were like, yeah, we're going to do Like, man, no. I said, you guys do what you want. I said, if five of you guys stay, we'll take some walk-ons and we'll play. We'll be fine. Wow. Now, what was your relationship in the recruitment process through all hell breaking loose with Coach Davis? Very good. Um, me and Coach Davis were always really good friends. He was really close to my mother. And it was funny because when it was all coming down, it was between Coach Trelaw and Coach Davis who was going to take over. Right. And I give them both credit. They didn't lobby anyone's decision. They said, they told all of us to be very honest and tell the university, you know, what you think. And I had a lot of meetings with Miles um, Brand. I had a lot of meetings with the board of directors about what I thought the direction and how this, how that should go. And 
Um, Can we assume that the decision that was made uh, was in line with your <laughs> yeah, advice? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and why though? Why? And I'm not a, I'm not a pro anything. I'm not a pro black pro this, but I said that for what just happened, he has the temperament to t- to handle this. I said it will look. He'll get a lot of criticism under everyone's breath for being the first black coach in a university. And you're going to have to weather that, and he will too. But his temperament will allow him to handle this job. And I said, is he the long-term answer? I don't know that. But I said, for right now, he'll be able to take enough bullets to get through the year. I said, because you're going to have not only local, you're going to have national bullets coming at you at all times. Wow. So he gets in there. And you have the the majority of the team has been coached up by Coach Knight. Mm -hmm. Knows the game of basketball through maybe the greatest mind. Well, the greatest mind basketball has ever known. You get in there, you have a totally different temperament with your coach, and it leads to this magical run. So I guess this sort of perfect storm of a master leaving and a guy who apparently is much more laid back, friendly with the players. Yeah. How do you feel that came together with the personnel you guys had to lead to such a run? I think that Coach Davis did a great job of being a little bit ahead of his time offensively. And you see with what his son is doing right now, Detroit Merce, you have to, and the game has even changed since then, but on the left block, very few people could guard me one-on-one. And he told me, you have to be unselfish. It was with, it was with Kurt Hastings the year before. And then my sophomore year, it was with me. They catch the ball, and they can't play you one-on-one. When the double team comes, it was a very simple offense we ran. And being able to have shooters around us, it made everyone better. And I think that having that simple of an offense, simplifying the game, where it's, the motion offense is amazing, but it's also a lot of wasted movement. It's a lot of this, man. Mark Jackson, I had a meeting with Mark Jackson once, and I asked him, because I was such this Bobby Knight devotee, love the motion offense, that's the only way a real basketball team works. Yeah. And I asked him, like, why doesn't the NBA run motion offense? And he said, the motion offense is set up so that teams that don't have stellar talent Correct. create a mismatch somewhere along the <clears> way. <throat> Correct. Whereas in the NBA you get the ball to your best player, and that's the mismatch. Correct. So the motion doesn't work when you've got stellar talent. Yeah. And it's a different kind of motion because NBA players are so long and athletic that if all your guys are on the three-point line, nothing will happen. You look at Otto, which is what Utah ran forever. It's a similar... Um, Jerry Sloan, I mean, a great offensive mind, offensive mind... Um, um, weakened through are what the Spurs run, mm-hmm. and it's their transition offense. And they they've simplified it over a year now to where you're coming to the elbows. And you, Rick Adelman ran his corner series. There are a lot of motion style offenses that are in the NBA game, but the actual motion that Coach Knight kind of put in is difficult because of the spacing in the NBA and the length of players. Mm-hmm. But what Coach Davis put in was if you double team him, then we have these shooters around him, and they're not going to miss. If you don't double-team him, then he's going to score. And that was my job, was to read if there's a double-team or not. And it was an NBA-based offense. 
real quick, because you touched on Kirk Haston, and I know Ward's buddy, Paul. Yeah, Paul. Had, had a question that we wanted to throw at you here. Mm-hmm. So you knew coming in that you wanted to play one, maybe two years in college before going to the pros and, yeah. and living your life. Yeah. Haston had a great year, yeah. your freshman year. Third mm-hmm. team All-American. Yeah. And you guys have a lot of talent coming back, and he decides to leave. Mm-hmm. Did that bother you at all? It did because my I was going to go to Boston. That year, Boston had 10 and 11. And Boston was going to take me 11. And my dad talked me into staying in school one more year. It only made me mad because Kurt went so high, I knew I was better than him. <laughs> that's, that's, the only, that's the only reason I was mad. He made the best decision possible for him. But it hurt you. But oh, God, it killed me. I said, oh. I said he went 13. I said, I'm better than him. That is good. That was the only... And, and you like the idea of Boston? Is that a Larry Legend thing as an Indian? No, it was boy? just it was just going. It just, I knew they they had two first that year, and they took a kid named Kedrick Brown. I knew that that was the slot, the range that I was going to go into. So that that killed me. Cause <laughs> my dad was like, you know, I'm hearing this and yada yada yada, and and I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm hearing something totally different, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was like, I don't know, I don't know who you're talking to, but I was like, I'm hearing something. Totally, totally different. In the two years that you were there, did you have any continued conversations with Coach Knight? No. He was, um, me and Coach didn't talk again for years. Wow. Until he was commentating, and we were at the at Mass Square Garden together, and I kind of, you know, I went and talked to him um, a lot, man, about a lot of different things. He he was mad at me. He was? Yeah. He was mad at me from for not transferring because he felt like it was disloyal, which I get. I, maybe I would have felt like that too, but I also got to look out for number one the same way he was. You know, he, there's nothing wrong with putting yourself first. Right. All right, so let's touch quickly on the title game run. Yeah. The magical run. And let's just focus in on Duke. You <laughs> obviously have history with Duke. Yeah. You almost went there. We hate Duke. They'd won the year before your freshman year, as you, you predicted. I want to just ask a quick question. When you commit to Indiana and you know you're going there, does the hate trigger happen for you? Do you hate everybody else now the way that we do? Or are you more reasonable and rational? I had a hatred for any Big Ten school. Good. Kentucky. Good. Yes. <laughs> of course. And it was so much so that my dad made me promise that – if I didn't go to Indiana, I wouldn't go to another Big Ten school. So I told every other Big Ten school that, no. And Kentucky was never on my list for that reason. Mm. And that's why it really came down to, and my dad was like, you have to leave far from the state and not be in the same conference. Like, <laughs> Your dad is the greatest. I, mean, I like this guy. <laughs> I like you, Mr. Jeffries. Yes. <laughs> and that was, that was his All thing. Right, but now you commit. Yeah. Do you hate Duke? No, because I will say this. The reason that Duke gets players, their recruitment process I mean, Coach K. Yeah, you mean the duffel bags of money? I mean, I'm just I, kidding. I, I'm I, just kidding. I, listen, I wish they gave me, gave me, gave me a duffel bag with Duke on it, and it, it was. They have, this is before. I mean, obviously now computers are so different, and um, you know, like, like the photoshopping and stuff. Yes, they put together this video of Grant Hill at Duke and me, and then like my head superimposed on all these things. <laughs> And it was my first time flying private. They had a limo pick me up at my house, and I flew private from Bloomington right into Raleigh-Durham. Like, the way that they were recruiting back then 
nobody was touching them. I mean, it was an arms wow. race, and that's why they were putting together those classes because nobody else had figured it out the level that they had. When you called Coach K, just to go back to that, when you called him and told him you weren't coming the morning of, what was that conversation like? Very quick. He wasn't. He was like, "All right." I was like, "What?" Well, <laughs> yeah, love, love you too. Yeah. It was like, it was like, it was like, it was like, it was like good luck on the next guy. I'm like, all right. Wow. Well, all right. So now, 2002. Yeah. You guys get into the NCAA tournament. You're rolling. Threes are raining down. Yeah. Things are starting to happen. And yeah. now, Sweet 16. You're playing Duke. Is I really don't like it when athletes go. It's just another game. Oh no. It's not another game, well, is it? Well, and you talk about how lucky things are. So going back to our first round, I knew we could beat Utah. But then our second round matchup was should have been against USC. Right. And USC had Scalabrini, Sam Clancy. No, it was, no, tell me it was already gone. It was, Scal- it was Sam Clancy, um, Jeff Trepanier, and it was like two or three other like really athletic guys, like NBA-level athletes. And we couldn't have beat them. No chance. Wow. So I called my agent. And I was like, well, look, man, we're probably going to lose this first round. I was like, I'm, I'm going to take a week off and go fish with my dad. And then I'll be down at IMG for draft workouts the following week. He goes, all right, that's good. <laughs> then UNC, UNC Wilmington yep. wins. I'm like, we can beat them. So go to the Sweet 16. We're playing Duke. I said, listen, we can't beat them. I said, <laughs> I said, I said, just they got five pros on the team. It's me, it's me and four white guys. I said, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be tough out there for us. For so I, don't, I don't see this happening. So, by the way, AJ told us he's like, well, screw Duke. It's just a name on a jersey. But no, man, stop, man. I'm looking, I'm looking across there like they're better at that position. They're better at that position. And even for me. It's a toss up of me and Boozer. Like right. I'm good, but I'm I can't be like I'm definitely better than him. I think I am, but the guy's pretty good, man. The guy, yeah. was, pretty, the guy was pretty good. So I'm like, oh, guy's gonna be tough. Then I look, I look at their bench. I was like, gosh, come up the bench with Dante Jones and you know um, what's his name, Katie Saunders. I was like, wow, this team is this team is deep. <laughs> yeah, because you almost went there. Yeah, I was like, it's a good, it's a really good team. And. Um, we got into the game. I think we're down 18 at halftime or something like that. And everybody in there like, we can still do this. We can still do this. I'm over there like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get this, get this second half over and not get hurt out here. <laughs> make, sure I get, make sure I get all the next thing smoking down to Florida. <laughs> and once we started rolling, um, I mean, you could see that there was some doubt in their hearts. It was one of those things that was there. And then we're up by three. And Dane fouls. <laughs> so then I walk, I walk over to Newt. And then we call him out. I walk over to Newt and I go, well, look, man, we can't beat them in half. And over time, they're going to kill us. I said, because we had nothing left. I mean, right. I was like, I was dead. I said, listen, I want you, we're going we're gonna to hold everybody back. Let Dane walk in. I'm going to beat the little crap out of him and walk in. <laughs> I don't have kind of a, I don't, I don't have kind of kind of a thing kind of a thing with Dane. I didn't love Dane that much, and that was that was it. I said this is my last game in Indiana. I was like I'm just gonna lock the door and me and him. I'm just gonna beat the crap out of him in the locker room. Like, I said, <laughs> and that's really why I didn't block out Boozer on that shot because I was sitting there like. <laughs> I, I said, was going to ask you about the block. No, out. no, so, so that, I, honestly, he got around you. No, no, I didn't move because in you my did. mind I was like, I I can't. I was like my legs were shot. I mean, I don't know what it, what it was, 21 or 26, 27 points, yeah. 14, 15 rebounds. Tw- 25 and 14. Yeah, I had nothing left. 
I mean, my body, my body was done. I was like, this is it, man. So, and he missed it. Thank God. And I did foul Boozer on that shot. They didn't call it. We win. I was like, phew. We walk in the locker room. And I knew that anybody else we played, except for Maryland, we could beat. Like, we were, at that point, we were shooting the ball so well. Yeah. And our confidence level was so high. We could beat anybody except for Maryland. Maryland. Who was the best shooter on that team, on your team? Because you had guys who could fill it up. Fife was filling up. Coverdale, Kyle, Hornsby. Coverdale Kyle makes me Hornsby. <laughs> I feel like I'm being a doctor now. That guy was so I nervous. I mean, there is no way to be. When I heard out he was a surgeon, I said, Kyle? I said, that guy for the game be shaking and be bouncing around and twitching. I said, he's a surgeon? Not for me. He's not. I said, is it like a life-threatening surgeon? Or did you like work on fingers? <laughs> Not a heart surgeon. He goes, no, orthopedic. I said, all right, well, maybe I can handle that. <laughs> uh, if he was a neuro or like a heart surgeon, I'd be, whew. But probably, probably Cove, just because he could shoot off the dribble um, and spot up. So I would right. say he's probably the best shooter on that team. Now, in, in hindsight, was there something extra satisfying about the Final Four victory over Oklahoma against a coach who will not be named? Yeah. Well, we may name him in the Well, and, and to finally go into, and this is, this is going to sound funny, to finally go into a weekend where I feel like, hey, we can beat this team. Like, <laughs> up until that point, I was looking at other basketball, I was like, no, we can't beat them. <laughs> well, even, even the Sweet 16, we couldn't have beat Pitt. Right, Pitt, but Pitt, Kent State. Kent State beat them. And I'm like, we got we them. They stink. <laughs> and I, I saw um, Antonio Gates a few weeks ago in um, San Diego, and we were laughing. But we always stayed in touch after that, and we were laughing about that game. It's like, how crazy is it he's arguably the best tight end of all time? And he like, played in that game. In that game. It's, it's I just recently rewatched that game. The, the funny thing, my memory of that game is very different than the actuality. I thought we blew them out. No. They fought back in that game. Yes. Like, we took a big lead, but then they fought back. It was a lot closer than I remember. Yeah, but I mean, if you, well, I forget the stat on NCAA games. The team that hits 15 threes wins like 99% yeah, of the game. Yeah, you like, 18 in that game? Something like that. So, like, once you get to that number, I mean, right. we, we hit cruise control. They came back. Coach Davis yelled a little bit, and then we went ahead and won. So let's take a step away from basketball for a second. I have to give a shout out to my mother, okay. Marsha Pankowski. Marsha, who wanted to know who is a Hoosier. She is a through. saint. Yes, <laughs> and she wanted to know besides basketball, and I want to get into this a little bit. Yeah, we were recently back in Bloomington. It's our favorite place in the world. It's amazing, we love it. But you were a student there for two years. You lived in Bloomington, and obviously you grew up in Bloomington, but you were a student on campus. Uh-huh. What is your favorite memory of being just a student, not basketball-related, just being at Indiana? I'll not lie to you guys, okay? I am a great partier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a great partier. So my buddies were all at Sigma Nu, okay. and I had a lot of good times at Sigma Nu. Before A.E. Pie got kicked off. Great time to the A.E. Oh, Pie. Oh, nice. apes, man. Love yeah. the apes. And then Sammy's. All those guys were all my homies. There you go. Yeah. Not, I mean... And I'm also not going to lie to you, I also, once the second semester of my sophomore year hit and I knew I was going to be Big Ten Player of the Year, I did not go to one class. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely over, fellas. It was, it was over. I, I called all my teachers and I said, how much do I have to do to stay eligible through the NCAA tournament? And they go, this much. Gold. <laughs> I did just. It's, that is so good because one of the questions I wanted to ask is, Everybody, look, we, we have made Bob Knight this icon, and he deserves it. He's, one, he's the best coach of all time. But this idea that our players under Knight just studied so much harder than everybody else, 
I was a student at Indiana just a couple years before you were. You didn't have to study as hard as I did. Zero percent chance. <laughs> no, listen, they, listen, they put, if I took one more African American studies class, me and Dr. Wiggins, God rest his soul, me and Dr. Wiggins were like this. I mean, I was, I was, take, I was taking African American history, African American in the 1800s, African American jazz. I said, are there any more African American classes anywhere I could take? And they're like, no, you've taken them all. I said, all right, well, I guess I got to take a, a, a communications class now, or, or, or anthropology or something. <laughs> I love it. All right, so let's get into some more IU stuff. Yeah. Favorite bar? You know what's funny? <laughs> Being so young, when we got to, oh, yeah. I couldn't go to any of the bars when I was in school. They wouldn't just let, Nick's wouldn't let Jerry Jeffries come in? Because they knew my parents. Ah. So, like, everybody else would be able to walk in, and they would cover it up because their parents and their uncles, and I don't know, so Troy is a sheriff in town. My dad and Troy were best friends like this. Uh. So, like, even when we got to the Final Four, we all went to Bloomington. It was the most epic party I've ever seen on Kirkwood. I mean, one for the books. Donald Perry had, had a, um... A Harley Davidson F-150 Ford. Because the dad was a doctor down in some BF place that I've never <laughs> even heard of. I forget what it's called. Something, I forget, somewhere down in Mississippi. And we get there. I walk inside of Kilroy's on Kirkwood. I mean, I, it honestly was like a movie. It was, I was like a legend. They're like telling my name. I'm like, yes, this is all about me. Me, me. I, said, I love it. Um... So you couldn't really experience all the Yeah, bars. one of the IUPD cops came into Kilroy's, and at that point they couldn't touch us, and I was obviously intoxicated. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, Jared, come on, you can't be here. And I go, all right, we're all going to Coverdale's house. We tried to get in. So many people got in the bed of that F-150 that it was hitting, and that we had, we had to, the cops had to have people get out of the bed of the truck. They police escort us to Cubs' house. It was, I oh, mean, that is so epic. Good. All right. All right, I have to ask you this, though, from A.J. Moy. He told me, I have to ask oh, you yeah, about yeah. this. Oh, yeah, yeah, good time for this. I have to ask you, let me pull it up real quick. I have to ask you about George Leach's bathtub. When you, Newt, George, and A.J. lived together at Hoosier Court. I've never seen, first of all, I'm going to, I've never seen an animal house like this. I, I tried to be nice, and I hooked them up with, like, my people, to live, we lived in this beautiful four-story townhouse. Newt had, I think, a mattress and some comforters. <laughs> George buys a waterbed for the second story of this house. <laughs> he never bought a mattress, I don't think, until like till we moved out. So he would steal your comforters, and he would just step on a comforter on a wood frame of a waterbed. <laughs> <laughs> AJ would leave his radio on as loud as he could when he was there and lock his door. So, I mean, I would be there every once in a while. I didn't spend a lot of time there because <laughs> I go to my parents' house. I go to my friend's house around town. Like, yeah. I didn't spend a lot of time there. George's tub at some point was so dirty. He actually had mold on it. I said, well, you never just wiped this thing like with soap or and it was honestly, man, like, it was to the point where I was like, this is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's black mold, man. Like, people die from that. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that good. place was an absolute animal house, man. One time, we were about to go to the Alaskan shootout. I think it was the Alaskan shootout. And, no, it was the NIT. It was the NIT in New York, I think. I don't remember which one. Anyway, 
George, we go eat a red lobster for our training table. Mm-hmm. George on the plane talking about, I think I left the red lobster in my room. Oh, no. <laughs> what? He goes, I think I'll do that. I said, you left. I said, first of all, who brings crab? You can't warm it up. You put it, you put it in the microwave? <laughs> you maniac? So who does that? And then I was like, you didn't refrigerate it? I said, that could have killed you. <laughs> so we, I had to call the landlord later that I know, Beth Stancom, God bless her. She's a saint, too. And be like, can you break into our place? So you take your landlord key and like throw this stuff away. Because if we come back, honestly, you're going to have to quarantine the whole place. It's going to be ruined. I mean. <laughs> That's, uh, how about best pizza in Bloomington? What's your pizza place? Bears. Yeah. yeah. Bears. Now, do you still go back? Yeah, I do. Um, parents still there? My What's parents it? still there. I live on the same land. My mom has lived on the same piece of property out there on the State Road 46, right on the Brown County line for 66 years this year. No kidding. Yes, my grandma still lives there. My uncles all live on the same land. Wow. So I go back. All right, let's skip to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Take us to draft night. What's draft night like? Actually, Jeff... And AJ came out. Coach Davis tried to make them not be able to come out. Actually, I don't know if AJ came out. I know Jeff did for sure. Okay. So, because I got Jeff's flight, and he was, Coach Davis was like, if you miss practice, this and this and this. I said, man, forget Davis, man. Get out here. To the, <laughs> it's, our, it's our draft night, baby. Get out here. That's right. <laughs> and, we, got, um, we got some partying. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, we, um, Newt came out for sure. I want to say that AJ, AJ did come out. AJ came out also. I remember him coming out also. And I knew that I was either going to go 4, 10, or 11, which was awesome. So it didn't go 4. It got down to 10 or 11. And I was like, look, I'd much rather go to Washington, which was awesome because MJ was there and they did all the workouts. Yeah. So I get drafted, <clears throat> number 11. The cool part was that, like, Michael Jordan calls me. is like, congratulations on the Wizards. I'm like, thanks, Michael. <laughs> is that the first time you've ever talked to him? No, no, no. We, we, I, I, yeah, I, had, I had two workouts there in front of him and with him. So What was he like? He was awesome, man. He still is. Um, it's, it's pretty funny to be able to, because I'm going to see him All-Star Weekend this year. I'm actually going to go down to Florida soon and hang out. It's pretty cool to be able to text Michael Jordan and him, like, text you back. So actually hilarious. Yeah. Like, like, there are times that I'll just do it, like, Hey, man, what's going on? How's your day? Nothing much, JJ. How are you? I'm like, oh, just nothing, yeah. man. Just, Jared, yeah. it's a little bit like when I text you and you text me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know. He texted me before he texted you to say he was texting you. <laughs> I'm texting Jared Jeffries. Um, so you get drafted. Yeah, yeah. Rookie year. Yeah. Give us, some sto- give us a story from rookie year. What sticks out? I remember, man, just getting on the plane and... Our plane was this was this turboprop plane that held about sixteen people, and I mean it was like I don't know if they were holding on like God don't die. Coach Davis used to pray all the time, rock back and forth. You got, you got on an NBA plane, and now it's like the first day of school. They don't tell you what what to sit at. So I go to sit one seat, well, that's so and so seat. But I sit that's so and so seat. Go to sit. All right, get in the right seat. But now I'm next to all the veteran guys that play cards, mm-hmm. and. That's not where you want to be. I wonder why that seat was open because they just make fun of you the whole time and laugh at you, <laughs> and you can't say anything. Because my veterans were Patrick Ewing, who was on our coach, Charles Oakley, oh, Michael Jordan, um, Chris Whitney, Brian Russell. Like I had like old men. I had like yeah, like grown real men. yeah, like grown like real veterans. Mean men. Yeah, grown and they would like make fun men. of you and do stuff, and you'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> 
just crying. Yeah. You, you put your headphones on loud as you can, like, JJ, like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, the front of the bus, so on the bus, first day, because on the team bus with, the, with Indiana, I always sit at the back of the bus because I was a cool kid. Yeah. Mm. I go back to the back of the bus this time, the same thing. They're just on me, making fun of me with my clothes and uh. making, making fun of my DVD player because it's like, I have like this one that's like this big because we got it for free at um, IU. I didn't buy a new one and like, they're like, MJ, like, what am I paying you for all that money? You can walk around with that stupid suit on. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> poor me. So then. How so, quickly is Michael trying to get your money in card games? You know, he never did with me because he knew my money wasn't there big enough. But just watching those guys and the level that they played at with cards, it was like. How much money did you see change hands in a card game? I saw more when I was in New York. Yeah. We played a bigger game. We played, um, we played like a. 5K buy-in, um, no limit game. So we played, played 10, 20, with um, five dollar annies and everyone was live straddle. Okay. So I mean, it, and the unlimited, unlimited buy-in. So the game would, I mean, the game would get big. You had to bring ten thousand cash to the game, and then after that, you could do, you you could do IOUs to people. So um, did you enjoy your rookie year? My rookie year was awesome. Besides getting hurt, just having a chance to be around Doug Collins, who is a brilliant, brilliant basketball mind. I mean, one of the smartest guys that had a chance to be around. Um, Wes Ansel, who was the general manager at the time, to be around those guys that I, I had always heard my dad talk about growing up that I had a chance to be around. Could not have been any better. I mean, This may not be a bad time to ask about Calbert Cheney, the previous lottery pick that went to Washington. At any point, did you connect with him, whether when you were an undergrad or when you got to Washington and... <clears throat> Is there any c- connection there? Because I, yeah. I kind of love him. <laughs> Listen, talk about it. Couldn't be a better guy. Um, he absolutely, such a stellar person. He was great, man. Um, him and Alan Henderson. I was, probably, I was probably closer to Alan Henderson. I actually went to Alan Henderson's house in Atlanta during the Final Four. Mm. And then me and Alan hung out You know, his last couple of years, my first couple of years in the NBA a lot. Anytime he came to town, we go to dinner. Come to his city, we go to dinner. So those two guys were great. And, you know, for a while, man, it was only us in the NBA. You know, so that kind of like that bond. And it is weird, and it's getting way better now because of the talent level. It was amazing that Coach Knight was able to put together such good Indiana teams consistently with the lack of NBA-based talent. It just showed how good his system was. Right. Um, Because for Indiana to be a perennial, you know, competitive team, make the tournament – like I said, at one point, I think I was the only player from Indiana in, in the NBA. Yeah, for a couple, for several years. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, it's good to see the program kind of where it is now, where it's going to be going in the future. So I got to ask you about one NBA memory that I have of you, uh-huh. Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it a bunch of times last night. <laughs> Carmelo, <clears throat> you're with the Knicks. You're playing for Isaiah. We yeah. want to talk about that we, a little yeah, bit too. There's a fracas, Carmelo cheap shots, your teammate. Yeah. And you lose it. (laughs) I mean, you go after him with just an unbridled aggression. Blind rage. (laughs) What was that like? Because this is two years after the brawl in Detroit. Yeah. So everybody kind of knows how bad this can go. Yeah. It was... um... And to, when, when the NBA called the next day and said that I was facing a five-game suspension, that part was not funny. That part, I was like, <laughs> I was like, yikes, let me get my calculator out. <laughs> I 
was like, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was like, like a beautiful mind. I was like, one point, carry this, carry this zero times three times four to the greatest power. Of, yeah. I said, oh, one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. I didn't even punch anybody. Yeah. Yikes! <laughs> no. What was, what was that? But, um, it, it's one of those things, man. That I've always, I'll do anything for my teammates, and I think that if you ask a lot of guys that I played with. We might not be best friends, but when we're playing together, we're on the court. Like no one will ever do that to you, and I think that that's kind of the um, the kid name was Marty Collins. He was a rookie that year. Like, come on, man! Like, that's you don't do stuff like that. Right. And I think that that is kind of what set me off to that level. But let me tell you something: I never fought again. If I ever got mad, I'll never forget one time <laughs> uh, we're playing against. He was an all-star center, and he was he was being so crazy, like throwing elbows and stuff like that. And at the time. I was my last year, I was in Portland, and I was on a minimum deal. And I told him, I said, listen, man, you throw one more elbow, I'm going to punch you right in the face. <laughs> I said, my career is about over. I'll take I'll take a 10-game suspension, but you got to live with the fact that this old man beat the living crap out of you. you got to tell us who it is. Huh? Dwight Hart. Yes! 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 <laughs> yes. And then did, he, did the elbow oh, stop? The elbow stop, man. <laughs> that you is crazy? so good. All I got to me, just punch him in the face. He don't want to hit me back. He's making like twenty five million. He don't. He don't want that. He don't want that. He's like carry the one, carry the two. Oh, I don't want that. Uh, what was it like playing for Isaiah, Coach Zeke? You know, man, it it was tough because he not only had the responsibility of a front office, he had the responsibility of being a coach, and it's so 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 hard to do both. And the city of New York had got on top of him, mm-hmm. and once that happens, it's really hard to get out from underneath it, and. I don't think that I saw the best of him. Mm. And I think that because so many things happened and so many negative things came out of there, I think it's hurt his ability to get back in as a coach. I don't know if he wants to. Right. Because he's a great analyst and he's really great at like, commentating games and he's doing stuff with the WNBA and has his own businesses. But <clears throat> it's, it's an example of how something can follow you for a long time. So it's like no matter how bad of a situation that you're in, when I was the director of personnel for the Nuggets, don't let a short-term problem be a long-term problem. Get out of it, man. Like, say the right things, have your head up, put a smile on, and get through it. If, if you don't do that, those things will linger on forever, man. Right. People will crucify you, especially a job like New York with so many influential people being Knicks fans. So let's move forward a little bit. <clears throat> we don't want to take up too much more of your time. Yeah. Let, I want to get into the current state of IU. Mm-hmm. So, well, I want to talk about the previous regime in a minute, but yeah. there's a coaching change. Yeah. And Fred Glass comes out and says he's going to consult former players and he's going to consult some former people. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get the right guy this time. Mm-hmm. Does Fred Glass call you? Yes. And what are those conversations like? Um, Is he flat out asking you who should we hire? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that one of the problems with college basketball right now is... The search firms, yes, that are involved in hiring coaches, I don't like that. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's, it's a crock of shit. I'm sorry. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's just to cover their ass. It right? is. It is, man. It's, it's, it's a way. It's a way to deflect your decision. It's also a way for ads to be on their list. Like, hey, if you hire our guy, ads and coaches, hey, if you hire our guy, then we can get you a job when you lose your right. job. It's a. It, it's on. It's a. It's a level of collusion. I don't think is right for college basketball. Mm-hmm. I think there has to be something that has to be looked into. If you don't have a short list of coaches, 
or a short list of people to come in and run. Why? What am I paying you for? Right. Especially at a place like Indiana. Yeah. Where we did not have the level of success that we all thought we were going to have. Yeah. There had to have been three names on a list somewhere that, like, if it goes south, we're calling these three guys or one guy. And you have to, and you need it. In the NBA, we have it all the time. Right. We have your best available at each position. We have best available coaches. We we know when their years are up. Players, all I mean, there's just a huge information database because that's our that is your job in the NBA. If the unforeseen happens, what do you do? Like if your coach falls ill, right? Like who you go pick up? And I think that um, Dr. Les did, did a better job than other universities that I've seen of creating their own list. Even though there was a firm that was used, mm-hmm. at least they didn't just take it because those firms don't give you all the background information. They actually only give you a sheet of paper that has names on it. They don't even tell you how those names got there. Well, they do kind of, but it's not like... They give you what they want to give you. They want to give you. Like, you need to... If, if I'm paying for this, you better give me a book this thick. I better know what he... If if there was anything racist he ever said in eighth grade, yeah. nothing better come back up. Like, if he's cheating at this university, I better know how he's cheating. Is he going to get caught? Like, all this stuff is knowledge that the NBA has. Like, hey, man, we can't touch this coach because he had a domestic violence charge you know, 10 years ago with the hypersensitive society that we're in with the Me Too movement, we can't take a chance with this guy. Like, you know those things about NBA coaches and who you're going to hire. Colleges have to get the same level of in our, in investigation. So when you're having that conversation, is Archie Miller even on your radar at yes. this point? You knew of him? Yes, because when I worked for other NBA teams, we did a lot of background into Sean. Mm, got it. You know, because... Sure. I, yeah, so... We did a lot of research. So, like, I would go to Arizona, watch practice. Because not only when you scout in the NBA, do you, do you not only scout players, you scout coaches. Hmm. Okay. So, you, so yeah, so Archie, yeah. I, so, I knew, what was your take on Archie? <clears throat> I love his youth. I think that, um, obviously, football fans, I think Sean McVay is a great example of where coaching is going. You have to have guys that are relatable to this generation of kids. I think before parents raise their kids to have respect for their elders – I think that's missing now a lot. So if the if an older coach doesn't have the Coach K, the Greg Popovich, um, the Roy Williams, that era of greatness, if they were just kind of here, when they try to be hard on players now, players look at them like, man, whatever, bro. Like A little yeah. bit like, and we don't have to talk about specific, but like Fran McCaffrey seems like he's an old school yes. guy who doesn't have the credibility of the guys you just mentioned. Yeah. I don't know how that guy ever gets this. It's tough. It's tough to make that next progression. Right. And I think that you have to, um, professional teams, especially college teams, I told him, get somebody young that will grow with the program. Mm-hmm. And I, if you look over the history of great programs, and I say, and go back to Indiana, embrace what Indiana was. Don't go away from it. Like, don't just show clips from this era. Like, show Coach Davis. Show the players that were there. Show the players that were even there during the kill. Like, all these guys were part of the university and part of what makes it great. Let's not, like, let's not forget that. So, he hires Archie. <clears throat> we're a couple of years, a year and a half in. What's your take on Archie overall? They're doing a great job. I think that um, getting Romeo was the biggest thing he'll do in the next five years. Only because it shows to other universities that he can recruit the state. That you're not going to walk in here and just take my players. And I think that that is the biggest, most important key to all this. Like, you got to get Michigan State from poaching players from the state. That has mm-hmm. to stop. The Greg Owens and Mike Collins can never leave again. 
Like you got the, Trace Jackson Davis coming. Exactly. Keon, come yeah. on. <clears throat> Keon. Like, like, all those guys don't come here if Romeo leaves. None of them go there. Do you think Keon Brooks is going to come to Indiana? Got to. Should right. we give him a call? You want to give him a I call mean, right now? We I'm, can do it live. I mean, we may as well just come out. I get my recruiting pitch. But I, like I said, it was the same thing that I told um, Romeo through, through about sources. You, you have a chance to be great in a state at the biggest sport. People like the Colts, but it's whatever. People like the Pacers. When Indiana is good, the whole state buzzes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a different atmosphere. When you know our fans travel, everything is better. You have a chance to do that. So why wouldn't these guys stay in state, do that, even if they're only going to be in school for a year, continue to build the legacy of Indiana basketball so that you always have somewhere to go back to. Right. Like you, you always have a home inside of your state to go back to where you can go somewhere and be loved. AJ just felt it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you go back to when you go back there. You're not just another kid that came through there. Like right. you actually matter, and you have you have a name and the face with it, and people remember you and love you. And isn't there a practical aspect of even just for a professional outlook? Like any IU player could go back to the <clears throat> state and have a thousand alums wanting to hook them up with a job. Like you know, you can you can look at you can look at Lily, you can look at Cook, you can like if you get your degree. And you go back there, and you were a good person to take the right way to Indiana. You can find a sustainable job in the state. Somebody will hire you in some level, man. And that's even what I think the university has to get better at. Even is bring players back. If guys want to coach, you should always have. And I think North Carolina does a really good job of it, and so does Duke. They always bring back former players on their bench. You gotta have that. Hmm. You gotta have a few former players that from university just to connect the dots of you know what we were and what we're going to be. So put your player personnel hat on for a second. Yeah. Romeo in the pros. Yeah. What kind of player does he project to be? Um, it's weird because he has such a varying way. I think a lot of it is going to be a situation. Um, he hasn't shown the explosion on the rim that I thought he was going to show. He's a great scorer, but the next level, the underhand finishing – is really tough, and he's he's a big underhand finisher, hmm. and that'll make it difficult for him. But he's shown a much better handle than what I thought on pick and rolls. So if he can play some combo at his size and his shooting ability, and I think he'll shoot the ball better. I think if you guys remember Brad Beal, yeah, shot the ball terribly in college. Well, even Oladipo, yeah, right? I mean Oladipo. Oladipo, Oladipo wasn't known as a shooter. Brad right. Beal was known, was known as a shooter. Um, and I think that with this draft, also, Romeo could put together, you know, five really good shooting games, and he could go to, he could be a top five pick. Wow. But he has to be able to shoot the ball. If he's shooting 25 from three, it's going to be hard for teams to overlook that. Because it does that, it looks like the form, the strokes, usually great. pretty good. Yeah. So, it, would teams look at that as, this is a mental thing he needs to get over? He's such, he's so young, that that usually does come yeah. if the form's that good? Yeah, yeah. It'll, that, and he just needs to show, he just needs to show a little bit of explosion around the rim. Right. Um. Like, you have to, like, sometimes he's always doing this, and it looks nice when he's in there. If he just turns the ball over and dunks the ball a few times, like, on people, that also, it's so it's so funny. Um, people are creatures of habit. Yeah. Like, NBA teams, we all, everyone's scared to kind of go outside the box. So, they'll, the everyone's draft board is really similar. 
because you don't want to take that chance of, like, Jerry West is one of the few guys that can go outside the box because he's been right so many times. Like, Danny Ainge can go outside the box because he's been right so many times. But if, if you're not one of those guys, you can't just jump out there and take a random guy out of position because you get you lose job over it. Yeah. Okay. Juwan Morgan. Yes. <clears throat> is Juwan, I, I've often said that Juwan, in my non-expert, totally irrational opinion, mm-hmm. is our most complete player right now yeah. since you. He is extremely, extremely talented. But he's a guy that, unless he's shooting like low, like high 30s, 40s from three. Which he is this year. But it has, yeah, it has, been, a lot. It has been the league. He's so undersized. Now, if everything goes right, you look at guys like Draymond Green, who have yes. put together great careers by being smart, versatile players. He has, I'm not going to say Draymond-level potential because Draymond was a better athlete. Mm-hmm. but And yeah. Draymond's so strong, right? Yeah, but I mean, if you watch... If you strong. watch Juwan, he's pretty strong, man. Like, he moves centers. He did last year. Yes. I mean, Would it help if he didn't wear those sleeves so the scouts could see the biceps? <laughs> yeah. I to see the better. skin. Show the skin. I wore an undershirt when I played. I'm glad I didn't but, see that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're, oh, it, it would covered. be worse it was if covered. I didn't wear an undershirt. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. The problem is just like being undersized. Everything now is such positional size and more than one position. It helps and hurts guys. So... All right, we've got a couple fan questions. Okay. People wanted to know, Hoosiers for Life 19 wanted to know the loudest game or moment in Assembly Hall for you. We were playing Illinois, and I want to say that they had, like the year before, beat us twice, and we routed them. I mean, we beat them, I don't know how much, and for whatever reason, it was like a, like a Sunday game or a Saturday game. I mean, that place was absolutely rocking. But obviously the loudest I've ever seen was when Kurt hit the last shot yeah. against Michigan State. And the funny part is that was my first pileup like that. It's very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Were you thinking, I'm going to the NBA? <laughs> it was a side note. I was like, I don't want to die. <laughs> we all jumped on top of Kurt and the fella jumping on us, and we couldn't breathe. And we were like, Help! <laughs> Help! <laughs> so, so, like, literally, Jared Odell is, like, throwing students off of us. The police yeah. come. It was actually, for, like, about about two or three seconds, it was actually very scary. Sure, sure. We, yeah, they, 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 they try to stop that now, but it usually the doesn't work. The thing is dangerous. Yeah. yeah, looks dangerous. I am for IU in Texas asks, your favorite fishing spot in the world? In the world, Panama. Um, I love, love, love going to Panama. I love Panama City and then going to the Pacific coast of Panama and just getting away. No cell phone service and it's beautiful landscape, great fishing. Hoosier Man 11 asked a question. This has actually come up, a couple people wanted to know this. Because Dane Fife is a assistant coach now at Michigan State and was a head coach at, you know, at a lower level in, in college basketball, there is some thought that Dane had a lot to do with, quote unquote, coaching the team in 2002. Did he serve? You are, oh, the eyes are closed and there is a smile. Please dispel this rumor and this myth. A zero percent chance. <laughs> Day, Day now, was, is, now, is this influenced at all by how you and Dane got along? No, I mean, no. Dane, Dane, is, Dane is awesome. We get along great now. But if anybody wants to go back and look at the history of Dane Fife, he would get this glassy-eyed look on his face and he wouldn't blink. And I was like, uh-oh. We lost him. That's it. That's it. That's it. Dane is worthless now. We, there's not one thing Dane can do out here. Okay. Is that the look he had right before the foul in the Duke game? No, I mean, he would get it like random times in games. 
He would make like a bad pan to do something. He would just get like this. I said, oh, I said, no. oh he's not blinking. He hadn't blinked in 30 seconds. I said, oh, it's going to be a long night. Um, we were going to do a bigger word association thing, but I don't think we need to. No, I think we associated so many things. This but. Is, yes. I got to ask a couple yeah. questions. Oh, okay. I know where this is going. I need an opinion on Kelvin Sampson. I, I actually get along really well with him now. Um, All right, we're going to edit this part out. Hold on, hold on. I think that you have to know... I don't blame him as much as I blame the university for not knowing, like I said, doing your investigation. If somebody had already done questionable things, you cannot bring that person in. Right. You can't. Not and to Indiana. I don't even think you can to any school now, man, because if you... And if, he, and if you do do that, you have to take the bullet for when he does it again. Right. Um, I always go back to my time in the NBA, and the guy I worked for, Tim Conley, um, and he's probably like the hottest young executive in the NBA right now. He's amazing to work with and for. If, if somebody had a domestic violence or a DUI charge, whether it was a player, coach, or whoever, we wouldn't touch them. Wow. Because those are things that, if, that a lot of times come back up. They're right. things that they don't just go away. And if it does happen again and you have to explain to your owner, you probably get fired for it. If you hire somebody that had broke NCAA laws before and, and failed, the, failed an investigation and you bring that person in and they do it, as a university, you got to take that bullet, man. You, can't, you can try to blame him all you want, but you knew what he was doing right. before. That's your fault. Okay. Tom Crean. I think that he, and me and him actually have talked and he, he doesn't really fool with me. I don't fool with him. And I think that he he felt blindsided by it, but I echo the voice of a lot of people, man. You have to embrace what Indiana was. It's not about, nobody's bigger than Indiana. And I think that that's the biggest thing that I want Archie to always do. Dr. Glass launches there. I think that my prime example is this. Tim Garrow was always the most important part there, man. Tim sat next to coach and did that. When other people came in, they moved Tim to the end of the bench. That's not right. Did Cream move him to the end of the bench? I don't know who, I don't know who it was. Oh, I don't know if it was oh. Kelvin or whoever it was. But you have these kids sitting up here that haven't. Tim is the most important part of the university, man. He's, he's the galvanizing force for former players, boosters, everybody. Tim's been there forever. Like, if anything else, like, that guy deserves to sit wherever he wants to sit, man. And I think that wow. those small examples like that are the frustrating part of what kind of went on in Indiana previously. Were you happy when you saw that they named the training room yeah. after him? Yeah, I mean, and, and whenever he decides, none of those things, man. As long as he wants to be there, he's there. And that, the university has done a great job of that so far. And when he decides to walk away, more needs to be done. It's, for anyone to be in that position and touch that many players a lot, and he, he's bigger than a trainer, you know, he's like your best friend. Wow. You know, he, I mean, to this day, man, like, he's probably the closest person that I'm to at the university. Like, I call my dad and him, and my dad, Hurts his knee, you know. I call Tim and Tim will go out to my dad's and go out to the house and like look at my dad. Or my dad can come in before the game and Dr. Rink and those guys will look at him. Like that kind of stuff is what makes you know, Indiana so special. When we go fishing together, yeah. will you have Tim work on me after? Yeah, I'm, we I'm, really not, I'm not gonna lie. Do you get seasick? 
Uh, the answer to that is yes. Oh wow! I mean, this is going to be adventurous. Yeah, so. I'll throw up. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to have to the, do the a lot patch, of the well, patch, the bracelet. Well, no, we do this thing the, the night before. I'm going to give you um, Dramamine, the yeah, drowsy yeah, kind. Yeah, You're yeah. going to sleep well. Get up in the morning, maybe have like toast, a little bit okay. of juice. Uh-huh. Give you more Dramamine, make you sleep the whole way out yeah. to the spot. Yeah, you, we'll, we'll catch one fish and we'll get right back to land. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I mean, you asked me if I get seasick. Um, I when I take my kids to a merry-go-round, I have to turn the other way and ask a stranger to watch them on the merry-go-round. So the answer is yes. Well, I am well, not a strong man. I will make sure we have video. Yeah, I mean we got to get content of this. I mean, Jared, you took so much time. I mean, we could do this for days. We really appreciate you taking the time. We love that you're having the success you're having. Um, we're IU fanatics. You represent the school and the program so well. You're what we want the program to be. Thank you. Um, you gave us amazing memories in 2001 and 2002. And today. And today. <laughs> today it may be better than 2002. <laughs> Keep um, this with me. Uh, that's cool, By the way, man. when you go back to your office and you hear some screaming and screeching outside your window. It's it not may teenage be, girls. No, it's, it's not. not it's girls. not. It's two 40-year-old men. Awesome, uh, thanks so much, Jared. No problem, really appreciate it. Ward? That'll do. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.